What a beautiful reminder that last song was. He's taken on flesh. Now, I hope that this Christmas you spent some time dwelling on that, that he took on flesh. I know that incarnation of God the Son, the second person, taking on flesh, making himself, uh, assuming upon himself human nature, that has become something that's more and more beautiful to me as I contemplate it year after year. I hope that you have spent some time thinking on it this Christmas. Before we go to God's word, let us turn to him in prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Even as we have sung, holy is your name. Truly, you are the only one who is holy. Even as your son said, there's no one good but you, our God. We confess and we believe that this morning. So Lord, as we who are unworthy people come before you, our worthy God, would you do what you have always done with us, which is change us, transform us by your grace. Through Jesus Christ and the work of your spirit, would you make us a new people this morning? Do this work even through your word now. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I can still picture the moment that it happened. I can still picture the day. I was only 13 years old, but I still remember that day. It was the cool part of a Texas summer. You know that part of the day when the hot Texas sun has gone down below the horizon and now you can finally feel a cool breeze off the lake. Some of you have never experienced a summer quite like that. I was on the back deck of my cabin that sat high above the lake that was there. It was right on the, the edge of the cliff and it dropped straight down into the lake. I'd stepped out of the cabin with my counselor, Jason, because I wanted to talk to him privately for a minute. I'd been at this camp for about two weeks. We'd been doing archery and riflery and horseback riding lessons and competing against other teams in the camp, and I was having a blast. But every single day, at some point in the day, they would stop for something they called powwows. And I had never been in a powwow before. In fact, they were a little weird to me, even as the name is weird to some of you. They each had their own Bibles. I did not. They all were talking about Jesus. They seemed to know something I did not. And so I had asked my counselor, Jason, to step out with me because I wanted to ask him a few questions because I didn't know what was going on. Well, it was on that evening that Jason explained to me the message of Jesus that would forever transform my life. It would set a new trajectory for me. It would take all the plans I had for my life and it would shatter them at the feet of Jesus. It was on that Texas evening, and I can see it in my mind, when Jason told me that Jesus died for my sins. He told me, and I believed, my life has never been the same. We read in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. On that somewhat hot but cooling off Texas summer, the Lord made me his child, born not of flesh, but of God. I can still picture that moment. This Christmas, we've been considering Jesus as the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness. Last Sunday, Dave reminded us that Jesus, as the light of the world, was not welcomed by all. And yet in this verse today, we will see how there are some who have received Jesus as a light who shines in the darkness. Will you read with me once more this text? John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It'll be there in your bulletins, or you can turn with me in your Bible. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I have one central theme, one sentence for you this morning that we will chunk and take in three sections. Here's your sentence. To those who believe in Jesus, he gives the right to be children of God. To the, all who believe in Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. We're going to take that in sections, beginning with that first one, to all who believe in Jesus. We see in our text, it says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Now, this stands in contrast to last week. In fact, just back up one verse in John chapter 1. You're going to see it says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. This week, we see there are some who do receive him. And yet, last week, there were those who did not. But what does this mean, to receive Jesus? There were those who didn't, and there are those who did. You and I know what it would mean if I came to your house and you received me into your house. I would physically walk in the door. But Jesus is not physically here right now. So what does it mean to receive him? We've not seen him, and he is not physically here, so how do we receive him? You know, if you were a, remember back to childhood, maybe some of you played the game where you came up with code words, some sort of like code language that you had between you and one of your friends, right? You made the, every letter change to something different, or some of you were lazy and just like stole pig Latin and pretended it was your own language. So you had this special lingo that you could have with just your friends, and you wanted to know what each other were talking about. You know, Christians are a bit this way, not that we're trying to keep people out, but that we talk in code language sometimes. Let me give you an example or two of this. What about the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart? If I say that, those of you who've been in church for a while, maybe most of your life or have grown up, you think, yeah, I know what that means. I could explain that to you. All right, let me t- turn the phrase up a little bit and see if you could explain this to me. What if I told you you need to receive Buddha? Ask Buddha into your heart. All right, what does that mean? What would it mean to accept Buddha into my heart? 
You see, somebody who's not acquainted with Christianity, you might hear that phrase, ask Jesus into your heart, and go, I'm not entirely sure what he means by that. Or here's another one. What about, you know what, we're, we're looking for a hedge of protection around your life. You're like, hedge of protection. Can I get a, like a bushel of tranquility while we're at it? Like, see, we know what we mean, right? But we're using code words for it. Well, I feel like this is what's going on in this text. John is using a certain code language. We understand, some of us, what this means to receive Jesus. But why don't we make explicit what maybe is implicit in our understanding? Receive him here. John himself even explains it. To all who did receive Jesus. All right, John, what does that mean? Well, it means who believed in his name is what the verse says. So those who believed in Jesus' name. Even that is a little code word language of, okay, what does it mean to believe in Jesus' name? Let me give you three specific things that I think it means. It means you believe Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he did. Believe Jesus is who he said he is. And he said that he and his heavenly Father are one together. I and the Father are one, Jesus says. This means that Jesus is the almighty creator of the universe. He is God in flesh. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And Jesus himself claims to be this person. The union of human and divine nature together. Jesus said he is the son of God, which makes him equal with God. But also, not only do you believe who Jesus said he is, you believe what Jesus said he did. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus, foretelling his own death and resurrection, says, the Son of Man, one of Jesus' name for himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. It's that you believe. To believe in his name is to believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Die the death that all sinners deserve and to raise again to eternal life. This is at the heart of that gospel message. Believe who he is, believe what he did, and submit to him. Recognize that you are one of the sinners that Jesus died for, and to submit your life to his kingship. Who is king in your life is the question. Who's running the show? Do you get to have the say in your life in all matters and you're the final authority? Or has that authority been handed over to Jesus Christ? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, believed he is God, he did die for me, and I submit to his will. Have you believed that thing? Christians have most often called this sort of believing and submitting faith. Having faith in Jesus. This is what we mean by that. Faith in the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. It truly is. It sets you free from the performance wheel of trying to show yourself good enough. For Jesus has done it all. But it's also a beautiful thing because God does not discriminate based on the strength or the length of that faith in Jesus. You know, someone whose faith is timid and it's weak, riddled with uncertainties, that person who nonetheless has faith 
is no less secure in Jesus than the one whose faith moves mountains. Let that comfort you if this season of your life you're a little weak in faith. Someone who has come to faith in the 11th hour of their life is no less rescued from their sin as the one who has followed Jesus from childhood. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel. Faith is the determining factor, not the strength or the length of your faith, but rather, who is the faith? Who, has, who do you have faith in? This is a wonderful, inclusive, exclusive message. It is an inclusively exclusive message. Notice in the text, it says, but to all who received him. This is in contrast. Last week it said he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Last week that was thinking, okay, that he came to the Jewish as the Jewish Messiah, but they didn't receive him. In fact, they'll put him on a cross. But you know what Jesus says? You know what? If my own don't receive me, why don't I go to everybody? Why don't I welcome everyone in? And this is an inclusive message because it does not matter whether you are Jew or Gentile. Whether you are male or female, European, African, cop, criminal, poor, or a princess, it really does not matter. For Jesus will welcome all who receive him, who will believe in his name. But it is also an exclusive message. It is a message that invites people in inclusively and yet says, this is for those who do in fact believe. Let's compare this message of an inclusively exclusive gospel to another gospel being preached this season, the gospel of Santa Claus. I think you all know this gospel fairly well. In fact, we sing about it at Christmas time. Some of your kids were maybe humming the tunes or grandchildren humming the tune. If you know it, sing along. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Oh. (laughs) He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's. Santa Claus is coming to town. That may be the only time we sing something like that in service, okay? (laughs) See, the gospel of Santa Claus looks at who's been naughty and who's been nice. If you're naughty you get coal. If you're nice, you get presents. And can we pause for a second and just say some of y'all's like nephews and grandkids really need to be getting a lump of coal this Christmas, but they're not gonna. They're gonna get the presents anyway. Actually, if you really want to see something funny or a little sad, YouTube has lovely coal videos. I can't say I recommend, but they are entertaining. See, the gospel of Santa Claus says you get what you deserve. If you deserve good, you get good. If you deserve a lump of coal, you get a lump of coal. That's the gospel according to Santa. But the gospel according to Jesus is that everyone's on the naughty list, except for one, God himself. And that in spite of that fact, God is willing to include everyone on the nice list because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. You see, according to the gospel, which is a better gospel than the gospel of Santa Claus, it says that 
Jesus gets the coal that you deserve. And you get all the riches and the presence that Jesus deserves. That's a better gospel. Yes, it is an exclusive gospel, but man, it welcomes everyone in who will receive him, who will believe in his name. Have you received him? Have you believed in his name? But I said our sentence for the day, to all who believe in Jesus, what happens? He gives the right to become children of God. Let's look at that next part. He gives the right. It says it right there in our text. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the one who gives the right. By nature, you and I do not have a right to be children of God. This stands opposed to what a lot of people in our culture think. I was just speaking with someone earlier this week who thought, well, we're all children of God, and somehow that might mean that we're all those beloved child and whatever warts and blemishes we may have, God just is going to overlook them, right? Like he doesn't care about them because he loves everybody and, and we're all his children. Well, no, our state in sin because of our sin and the sin of our first father, Adam, means that we're more like a rebel traitor to God than like a child. You see, it is not within ourselves, our own right to make ourselves children of God. That is a right reserved to Jesus. Because we, as rebel traitors to God in our sin, we exalt ourselves for the talents that God gives us. Making much of ourselves, look at, look at how talented I am when God is the one who gave you that. We praise ourselves because of the accomplishments that we have achieved. And yet God is the one who orchestrated those events so that you may achieve those. We are great glory thieves, seeking to steal from God any chance we get, not by nature children of God. You see, you and I cannot make ourselves children of God any more than you and I can make ourselves the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. It will not happen. I don't care if you pad up and you line up behind the center. That does not make you the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. There is one person who can make you the starting quarterback, and that is Nick Sirianni. Only he can make you the starting quarterback. You know what? Only Jesus Christ can make you a child of God. There is but one who has that right, and it is because Jesus has the power through his death and his resurrection to bring you into the family of God. No one else has that kind of power. It is because he died for your sins and that he rose again that you can be a child of God. Jesus gives that right to all who will believe in him. And finally, to all who believe in him, he gives the right to what? To become children of God. And we're going to land here thinking on what it means to be children of God. When we read in our text, it, is, it says in verse 12 to 13, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, and then he gives three negatives, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. What does it mean then to be children of God? I think we can think of it in three specific ways. There's so much more that it does mean, but 
let's just look at three this morning. First of all, it means that we have an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship like a father has with their children. You know, in the middle of the night when a young girl is scared and has had a scary dream, what does she want to do? She wants to know she's safe. She wants to know she's secure. So she might get up out of her bed and run over to her parents' bed and they may come back and sleep with her, putting their hand on her chest. It's going to be okay. The intimate relationship. This is the kind of intimate relationship that you can have as, with God as your heavenly father. Or when a son is so excited because he got that first job and he wants to share that excitement with his dad. Dad, I got the job. I want to share that with you. I want you to feel my joy. And a father shares in that joy. That kind of closeness of relationship is the kind of relationship you can have with God if you believe in Jesus. When you're frightened, you can turn to his strong arms. When you're excited, he'll be overjoyed with you. When you're lonely, he'll be near to you. And when you're hurt, he'll comfort you. Being a child of God means having a close relationship with God. It also means having a family resemblance to God. Now, for better or for worse, all of you have some resemblance to your mother and your father, both physically and in personality. It's amazing to me watching some of these uh, documentaries that show even if you're separated from your parents at birth, how much you can even turn out to be like them. I'm amazed in my own life looking at my father, though gone from the age of 10 for me, I turned out like him in a lot of ways. See, our parents make a mark on us. No less does God as our heavenly father make a mark on us. If we are children of him, then we're going to show a family resemblance. And yet the family resemblance is not going to be physical like yours is to your parents. No, the family resemblance is a resemblance of character. God has no form. He is spirit. And since he's spirit, we don't physically reflect him, but we reflect him in his character. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, speaking to believers, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, is, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The family resemblance between God as the Father and believers as his children is a resemblance in holiness. That we might reflect the holiness of God. To strive after it and to see that work done in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as it's inevitable that you will show your resemblance to your parents, so it is that those who believe in Jesus will bear a family resemblance to Jesus. That to one degree or another, growing in a measure of holiness. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you have an intimate relationship. It means that you resemble him, but it also means you receive an inheritance. You receive an inheritance from your heavenly father. Just like we would from an earthly father, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believers in him are set to receive all things. Romans 8 says it this way, What shall we say then? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God, our heavenly father, is preparing for his kids an inheritance beyond all measure, just as he is wealthy beyond all measure. It's an inheritance of a new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom that never fails and never ends, full of peace and joy. Even as we've been lighting the candles, it is a kingdom marked by the kind of characteristics, love, joy, peace. We will inherit all things with him. Greatest of all being not the new earth, not bodies that don't break down anymore, not a kingdom that'll never end. No, we will inherit God himself. For Revelation says it, that he will be our God and we will be his people. We will be his own possession and he will be our father forever. The greatest inheritance you will receive in the life to come is not the great kingdom of God, but the great God himself. You are set to receive all good things. This is the wonderful privilege for all who are born children of God. But then the question is, how do the rebel sinners become children? Jesus has the right to move us, but how does John describe it in the text? He says that you are born of God. Born of God. Again, this is code language for being made spiritually alive. John will actually go further in the story of Nicodemus, just two chapters later in John chapter 3. He'll tell, Jesus will tell Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born anew, receive a second kind of birth. Of course, this puzzles Nicodemus and he goes, I don't know what you mean by this? Can a man enter his mother a second time and be born twice? See, something really radical happens. Jesus is pointing to this radical transformation when someone moves from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus' beautiful light. If you and I, for just a moment, and I really wish we could, if we could, for just a moment, peel back the layers Peel back this physical world that we see. I believe we would see wonderful and terrible things. We would see wonderful things of the angels warring for the souls of men, vying to bring the gospel. We would see terrible things like billions and billions of dead souls walking around in living bodies. You see, something really miraculous happens when a person is born again. They're made spiritually alive. What was a dead soul within a person? The living God touches and brings them to life. He makes alive what once was not. And like a baby taking its first breath for the very first time, that soul, which has been touched by God, regenerated, transformed by the work of God, feels alive. And some of you who've experienced this, Maybe you came to faith a little later on in life where you thought, I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and now I do. You, you had that and you knew, I feel free. 
I feel the burden of sin taken off my shoulders. I feel alive, maybe for the very first time. How then are you included in this family? You have to be born again, John says, threefold, not by blood, not by the will of the flesh, and not by the will of man. Not by the blood, because this means in family lineage. It doesn't matter what your genetic code is. This would have been radical to the Jews. It didn't matter if Abraham was your great-granddaddy. It doesn't matter if your grandfather had faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if he was a preacher. It does not matter if he was a missionary. It does not matter if he led a Christian organization that will not rescue you when you show up to the gates of heaven. You cannot be born merely of blood to rely on the faith of another. You are not born of flesh, of the sexual desire. Children are naturally born from these God-given sexual desires. You won't be able to merely follow your passions to be born again. You know that Disney line, follow your heart, let your conscience be your guide. The sinful heart and the twisted conscience will not lead you into a new birth. You need God to do that for you. And lastly, you're not born of the will of man. You're not using your own exertions, your own force, your own willpower and authority to make yourself a child of God. It is only Jesus' right to do so. And so how are we made children of God? It is through Jesus Christ. For Jesus alone has the right and the power. Only he can make what was spiritually dead come alive. Every single person needs this. Every single person who has ever been born needs a second birth. You are born physically into this world, and yet spiritually we are born dead. This is why we need a second birth to make our souls spiritually alive. That we might have new life in Christ. And who receives that? To all who believe in Jesus. He gives the right to become children of God. 2,000 years ago, a child was born on Christmas Day. And he came that you may have the right to become children of God. Are you? Children of God. For this reason, Jesus is born, that you might have life. Let us pray. Father, how wonderful is your word. It has been beautiful before us this morning. We delight ourselves in the glorious truths contained within it. We confess today that Jesus is the light of the world, who was born that we may become your children. We praise you for the new birth you have provided for all who have believed in his name. I do pray for each soul this morning, Lord. I cannot see with my eyes who has been made alive and who is still dead in their sins. But before you, all things are laid bare. You know who today needs to repent of their sins, to believe in Jesus, to place a saving faith 
in him. You know who needs to be born again. I ask that you would reach down and do the miracle of regeneration, renewing a soul from what was dead to now what is alive. Would you be